I'm currently reading Tax-Free Wealth by Tom Wheelwright, and I am on page 211, chapter 19. Like-kind exchanges plus depreciation equals zero taxes. In chapter 8, I told you how my friend Guy Zanti used the 1031 exchange to reduce his taxes by 20000 let me show you how you can use a combination of 1031 exchanges and depreciation to never again pay tax on the cash flow or the gain from the sale of real estate. Suppose one person decides to begin real estate investing by doing single family homes. Buy several homes over the next few years and get comfortable buying houses that have positive cash flow while also increasing in value. After a few years, you decide that you'd like a little more cash flow and a few less properties to manage. So you sell all of your houses and buy a couple apartment buildings. You do this through a qualified intermediary and you follow all of the detailed rules of section 1031 that your tax advisor tells you about so that your sales and purchases qualify as a like-kind exchange. You enjoy the additional cash flow that comes from your apartment buildings for several years. You also enjoy the depreciation deductions from your apartment buildings. These deductions, as we discussed in Chapter 7, completely shelter the cash flow from income tax. Eventually, though, you decide that you want to cash in your apartment buildings for an asset that you don't have to manage at all. You notice that... While apartment buildings are far easier to manage than single-family homes and produce more cash flow than single-family homes, they still require a lot of work. You look around for a building that doesn't require any work at all, what you find is a Walgreens. Like many retail stores, Walgreens typically doesn't own properties. Instead, it finds the land, builds the building, sells the land, and building to an investor and then leases them back for 30 years. Walgreens agrees to take care of all the maintenance and all of the expenses. All the investors has all the investor has to do is pay the mortgage. You like this because Walgreens has great credit and the bank is happy to lend you the money to buy a property that has a lease a lease guaranteed by one of the largest retail store chains in the world. You sell all of your apartment buildings and buy your Walgreens property. Every month, Walgreens sends you a check that you deposit into your account. You can even have the check sent to your bank and automatically and directly deposited into your account and have the mortgage payment paid automatically from your account. So you don't have to do anything. You travel all over the world with the investment income from your Walgreens property till a, rip, till a ripe old age. Here's the magic of the Walgreens strategy. Over the years, you took depreciation deductions on your single-family homes, then on your apartment buildings, and then on your Walgreens. This depreciation sheltered your cash flow from income taxes. Let's suppose your total depreciation deductions all over the years were $4 million. You have to reduce your tax bases in your properties by all of that depreciation. Remember that tax basis is the number that is used to calculate the capital gain when you sell the property. So if you paid $5 million for the Walgreens and you had a total of $4 million of depreciation, 
then your basis would be one million. If you sold the property for six million, its its value on the day before you died, you would pay a capital gains tax on five million. Six million sales price less your one million basis. If your capital gains tax rate is fifteen percent, you would have to pay a tax of seven hundred and fifty thousand. You can eliminate this capital gains tax simply by holding onto the property until you die. When you die, your basis is automatically increased to the value of the property on your date of death. If the value is six million, your basis will be six million. Since we know that your kids are going to sell the Walgreens soon after you die, so that they can have the cash, this is a great tax planning tool. You got the tax benefit from all of that depreciation while you were alive and your children don't have to pay tax on it when you die. Don't sell real estate before you die. Selling assets creates unnecessary capital gains taxes that could be avoided simply by holding on to your assets until after you die. You can always get cash from your real estate by borrowing against it and debt is tax free. What about estate taxes? The day you die, just as we've discussed in chapter 17, the estate tax kicks in. You can or you get an exemption, however, for a certain value of your estate. Why, with the Walgreens now worth $6 million and assuming you have a mortgage on it of $1 million, your net estate value is $5 million. The United States has a $5 million estate tax exemption, so there won't be any estate tax on the Walgreens, even if the Walgreens plus your other assets total more than $5 million. There are plenty of ways to reduce or eliminate your estate tax that we discussed in Chapter 7, 13. So let's suppose we have three homes or eight homes, two apartment buildings, and one Walgreen. Of course, depreciation and like-kind exchanges aren't the only tax benefits from real estate. In Chapter 9, we talked about some of the tax credits you can get from real estate. There are low-income housing credits, historic structure investment credits, and other real estate tax credits. And in most countries, you don't have to pay any tax on the gains from selling your family home. One of the biggest benefits in real estate is that loans aren't taxable. One of the biggest benefits in real estate is that loans aren't taxable. So you can borrow money from the bank through a refinance and you won't pay tax on that money. One of the arguments I hear all the time for not doing like-kind exchanges is that the taxpayer might need cash for the sale of the building. Instead of cashing out and paying tax on that cash, why not do a like-kind exchange and then later refinance the building? When you refinance, you get your cash in the form of a tax-free loan and get to keep your assets. If your wealth strategy includes real estate, be sure to work with your tax advisor to figure out how much depreciation you will get each year and how you can use like-kind exchanges and other tax benefits to seriously reduce or eliminate your income taxes. Next we will move to the tax benefits of actively investing in paper assets, such as stock and option trading. Real estate investment is one of the best tax shelters. A 1031 exchange and depreciation are key in never paying tax on the cash flow or the gain from the sale of real estate investment. Tax Strategy 19. Change your residence every few years. 
by now everyone knows that real estate doesn't always appreciate so buying a house with the sole goal of selling it when it goes up in value is not a sound wealth strategy however this doesn't mean that you can't still have a strategy of building wealth in part of in part by changing your residence every few years most people prefer to own their own home for any number of reasons owning your home gives you a sense of security it gives you a feeling of ownership it may provide a sense of stability to you and your family and it can also be a way to build tax-free wealth let's suppose that instead of buying your dream home you decide to buy a house that needs some fixing up there are lots of houses like this i have a friend who loves to find homes that are a real bargain in part because they need a lot of improvement she has become an expert at deciding what needs to be done to a house to maximize its value she also hates paying taxes so every few years she and her husband sell their house and find a new house that needs repairs and improvements they spend evenings and weekends painting putting in new flooring and adding new cabinets did i forget to say that my friend loves interior design as well so this is kind of a fun hobby for them. In addition, her husband is a high implementer in his Colby score. This means that he really likes working with his hands by using tools and building things. Why not use his hands to improve his own house? Beyond the personal satisfaction of working together on a project, my friend and her husband enjoy tax advantages for doing this. In the U.S., there is no tax on the sale of a personal residence so long as you live in it two out of the past five years. My friend and her husband always lives in their always live in their house until it's fully improved. Even in a bad real estate market, their improvements are enough to provide them with a tidy little gain when they sell their house. So long as their gain is not more than 500 or half a million, the entire gain is tax-free. Then they find another house they can improve. When they first started doing this, their goal was to own their dream home free and clear of any debt. They reached their they reached that goal year ago years ago now they keep finding new homes that they can turn into a dream home and sell for a tax-free gain of course this strategy isn't for everyone you have to enjoy living in a house that needs improvement and it helps if you enjoy doing the work still what a great strategy for those of you who don't mind moving every few years and would like to make money doing it tax-free money at that Stocks can lower your taxes too. Look at market fluctuations as your friend rather than your enemy. Profit from Foley rather than participate in it. My first try at stock investing was a disaster. My brother Steve, who was a professor at Harvard Business School for many years, gave me a tip on two stocks. The first was a company nobody had heard of at the time called Berkshire Hathaway which was run by this guy named Warren Buffett. I didn't know anything about the company except that my brother thought this Warren Buffett was a pretty smart guy, so I bought the stock. Steve's other recommendation was a company I knew, something called Fast Tax, which processed tax returns by computer. This was 25 years ago. We used Fast Tax at work, and it was a pretty good program. I thought it would be a fairly safe investment. A few years later, I needed some cash, so I sold one of my stocks. I made the obvious choice, kept a stock in the company I knew, Fast Tax, and sold the stock in the company I didn't know, Berkshire Hathaway. You're probably laughing at me right now. If I kept the Berkshire Hathaway stock, it would be worth millions now. 
Just like most bad investing, mine was a result of a lack of education. People who make a lot of money in the stock market are well educated about the stock market. They understand how to make money rather they understand how to make money whether the market goes up, down, or sideways. They don't really rely on the strategy I used for my first stock investments. Buy, hold, and pray the stock goes up. Instead, they understand how to use options, futures, and other hedges to reduce their risk and increase their reward. These same people, however, tend to be less educated when it comes to taxes. They're especially uneducated when it comes to how stock trading can produce major tax benefits with the right education, or very high taxes with the wrong, or no education. Let's look at some of the major benefits you can have as an active stock investor as well as some traps to watch out for. The mutual fund tax trap. Mutual funds are the most common form of stock market investing. The problem is that mutual funds contain a tax trap that many people don't know about. Think of a mutual fund as a pass-through entity like a partnership. The income earned in a mutual fund is not taxed to the mutual fund. Instead, it's taxed to the investors. That might be okay if everyone entered a mutual fund at the same time. Everyone would simply report their shares of gains and losses on the stocks sold in the mutual fund. And then they would see the value of their investment grow or decrease by those same gains and losses. That, however, is not how it works. If you invest in mutual funds, you will likely buy into a fund that has been around for many years. Over the years, investors have come and gone while the fund has purchased many different stocks over those same years. The challenge comes when the fund goes to, a, to sell a particular stock. Let's say you decide to invest in mutual fund A at the beginning of the year. The fund bought stock B for $10 per share 15 years ago. When you joined the fund at the beginning of the year, stock B had a market value of 50 a share. The day after you joined the fund, the fund managers decided to sell the stock. So there is a gain to the fund of 40 per share on the sale of stock B. Who pays the tax on the $40 gain? You do, even though you just joined the fund the day before. All investors who owned shares of mutual fund A on the day the mutual fund sold the stock share the gain. Doesn't seem fair, does it? It gets worse. Suppose you get paid 100 per share for mutual fund A when you bought, bought it in Jan. At the end of the year, the stock market takes a dip in value and now your shares of mutual A are now only worth 80. You still have to pay tax on your share of the 40 gain from the sale of stock B inside the mutual fund. Mutual funds are one of the few places where you can lose money and still owe tax on your investment. tax benefits of active stock investing. Let's take a look at what happens to more active investors in the stock market. Unlike the passive mutual fund investor, the active stock investor can receive many tax benefits. The most obvious is that gains in active stock investing are capital gains, and unlike mutual fund gains, you only have to pay tax on them when you sell them. Many countries have several lower tax rates on capital gains. In some countries, like the United States, you only get the lower tax rate when you have a long-term capital gain. Long-term means that you held that asset for a time specified by your country's tax law. 
In several countries, including the US, Australia, and Japan, long-term is considered one year and a day. Some countries don't distinguish between long-term and short-term capital gains. In several countries, including the US, Australia, and Japan, long-term is one year and a day. In New Zealand and several other countries, there is no tax at all on capital gains. Of course, if you have gains on an asset, you can also have losses. Losses from the sale of stocks are normally considered to be capital losses. Capital losses in most countries can only offset capital gains. If you don't have enough capital gains to offset, then the capital losses carry forward to future years. In the U.S., however, you can use 3000 a year in capital losses to offset other income when you don't have enough capital gains to offset. Many countries, including the United States, also tax dividends from stocks at the lower capital gains rates. This is a fairly new phenomenon and one that could change at any time. Historically, dividends have been treated as ordinary income. Interest income is also treated as ordinary income in most countries. For the casual investor, capital gains, dividends, and interest are the only rules you have to know. Only when you become a serious stock investor do the rules get more complicated and the benefits increase. This leads us to Rule 17. The better the tax benefits, the more complicated the rules. This rule is generally true for all tax benefits and is why wealthy individuals depend so heavily on tax advisors. The reason for this rule is that the government wants to limit tax benefits to very specific circumstances. In order to define those circumstances, the rules can get a little complex. Don't worry about understanding all of the detailed rules. Just be sure your tax advisor understands the rules that apply to you. Consider trading stocks and options in your self-directed IRA or pension account. The tax benefits can be enormous. That's a tax tip. And tax benefits of option trading. The first complex area in paper assets is the stock and option trader rule. Remember chapter six when you learned about you learned that almost all expenses can be deductible? The way to make them deductible is to make them an ordinary and necessary business expense. This is difficult to do when you're a stock investor since you probably aren't investing for other people in our, and so are not technically in business. There is an exception to the business requirement, however, for people who are in a trade. A trade includes doing work only for your own benefit, so long as it is a major part of your time and wealth building activities. When you are in a trade, you get to deduct your expenses just like you would if you were in a business. For stock traders, this is even better than for the typical business owner. You get to deduct your expenses as ordinary deductions, and your trading gains are capital gains not ordinary income, which is taxed higher. If you don't meet the trader rules, then your expenses are investment expenses. Investment expenses can sometimes be deducted depending on the amount and type of business. Not all the tax advisors understand stock trading tax rules. Whether you qualify as a stock trader is based on your facts and circumstances. So I'm underlining, if you don't meet the trader rules, then your expenses are investment expenses. But investment expenses can sometimes be deducted depending on the amount and the type of the expense and type of the expense.
whether you qualify as a stock trader is based on your facts and circumstances. So this kind of brings me to the mentality of change the facts, change the tax, uh, which is, it makes me extremely grateful that I've been a, a patient on starting my own entity because I know for a fact that long term I'll end up spending more money due to starting it incorrectly and not getting advice from a CPA and having my CPA talk to my attorney. And the reason for that is because if I decide on just starting my entity right now, like I said, there's a strong probability that I may have to make small adjustments to benefit me long-term. The thing about business is Setting up an entity is one thing, but a major lesson that I'm learning now is there is no one size fits all, right? So there's not one size fits all. And that means that depending on the actual business that I'm engaged in would depend on the tax benefits I get, the credits, depending on the business, the exemption. So I have to be extremely specific on what is it that I want to do so I can set up a business that revolves around what is it that I want to do? Sometimes I go into the mentality of thinking about the tax benefits, but somewhere in my filing system, I remember reading something that said, don't start a business because of the tax benefits. And in all reality, that's one of the main reasons why I want to start real estate is because of the tax benefits and not only because of that, but it is a major key and of past circumstances also played a major role in my thought process and why I want to be in real estate. But I hate saying the word benefits, but I mean, the benefits, the, the benefits that come, the tax incentives, if you will, the incentives that come with owning real estate are just tremendously awesome. And and all in all, a nigga really is looking for a specific lifestyle, right? I can care less what business I'm actually in, as long as it's ethical, as long as it meets my standard, my principle of helping other people. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to do anything that is profitable to me, but detrimental to humans so real estate seems like a great business but it doesn't really touch on my my passion right because I've always had a passion for speaking for developing others for developing self developing others music and motorcycles these are my passions these are things that I would enjoy doing and when I think about real estate and business and building a real estate business, I, I don't physically see myself going out there knocking on doors or taking numbers to call realtors and brokers and agents. This is all things that I, in my mind, see myself delegating. But I think I'm missing a major key and I won't stop. I'll continually seek, develop, and I have to take action at some point. I feel like I've taken too much knowledgeable action, but not enough equity action. And 
I've gotten a lot closer than I was two years ago, three years ago, back 2015, almost three years. So back 2015, that's when I began to learn a little bit about assets and liabilities. And I'll tell you what, I've lost a lot of money. I've also dabbled into a lot of different asset classes. And when I say dabbled in, I can't say I've, I've gone all in because from my perspective, if anyone decides to go all in into anything, they will be successful. I dabbled into it because I was doing as much as I could by getting free content, by learning as much as I could. But once it came to once it came down to me having to invest a specific amount, I would either use that as my 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 wall that would stop me and rather than breaking through it, I would retreat and and think about another asset class. And now I'm put in a position, now I, I understand back a little bit. When I read the phrase, when I became aware of the phrase that it doesn't take money to make money, I really latched onto that until this day I still believe that. But it does take education and education is not free. It is, but it isn't. And what I mean by that is a person could learn the techniques, the process, but a lot of time will be, I wouldn't say wasted, but there will be a lot of time invested in order to get it correct. And the way to expedite this, the way to do this would be through hiring a mentor, which typically requires money. So I've decided to get into a career, begin looking for a career, something, and I say career, not even a career. That's what they promote it as. But put myself in a position that I'll be, be I'll be earning a lot more weekly, which allows me to begin investing into my education. And the thing is that the education that I require isn't expensive, but it's expensive when you're making minimum wage and just I, I don't want to switch over to complain mode because all things are possible for a fact. So what I'll do today is just continue, finish, I'll continue reading, I'll finish this chapter, and I notice something about myself. I notice my mentality is so much sharper when I read, and that's what it's about. Due to the complexity of these special rules, Please be sure to work with a qualified tax advisor in country to determine whether qualified. Here are the rules in the United States for determining trade status. There are three primary qualifications you must meet to be a trader. These rules are challenging because they are not specified anywhere in the actual tax code. Instead, the courts have handed them down over the years and keep and they keep changing. So you'll have to work with your tax advisor very closely to determine whether your facts and circumstances make you a trade or to determine what changes in your activities are needed to qualify for the trader tax benefits. The first general rule for trades relates to the volume of your trading activities. Volume means both the number of trades you make and the dollar amount of trades. If you trade, if you trade constantly throughout the day, you have a much better argument that you qualify as a trader than if you trade only a couple times a week. Even a couple of trades a day aren't enough to make you a trader. 
Likewise, your trades have to be a significant dollar amount. There's no specific dollar amount that qualifies. It's just the more the better. So 1 million in trades in a week may qualify, but 10,000 clearly doesn't. The second The second general rule for traders relates to the amount of time you spend trading. The more time you spend trading, the more your trading looks like your primary income activity. Under current court cases, in an hour a day probably isn't enough. Even three to four per day might not be enough. Whether you spend enough time to be a trader is also impacted by the third rule. Your trading has on your income. Is your income from trading significant when compared to your total income? Is your income from trading significant when compared to total income? If your trading income only represents 10% of your total income, it probably doesn't matter how much time you spend trading or how many trades you make. By definition, a trader is someone very good at trading and who makes a significant portion of their income trading. Three rules to qualify as a stock trader. The volume of trading activities must be significant in both number of trades and dollar amounts and dollar amount of trades. The time spent on your trading activities must be a significant part of the day. The income resulted from your trading activity must be a significant portion of your income. Look at the general definition of a trade and you probably do okay. You wouldn't call someone a professional bricklayer who only does the occasional project in the backyard, nor would you call someone a professional electrician who does odd jobs for a little extra money. A true tradesman is someone who is a real professional, constantly working at and honing a trade. So once you become a truly professional trader, consistently making money and spending serious time and effort on trading, then will likely be considered a trader for tax purposes. Additional tax benefits for traders. There are many other benefits for serious, serious stock and option traders as well. In the U.S., get to treat 60% of their income as long-term capital gains tax at the lower tax at the lower rates even if all of their trades happen in less than a year. Traders in futures and foreign exchange may also qualify for this tax benefit. Those of you who decide to become professional traders in these complex areas of finance will definitely need to work with a highly trained tax advisor who clearly understands the law. If you're interested in learning more about stock and option trading, Trading in future and foreign exchange trading, talk to my friends at Rich Dad Education. They have a great program to teach people how to become professional traders. Go to taxfreewealthbook.com to find out more about their programs. Next, we will take a look at the tax benefits of investing in commodities such as oil and gas, agriculture, and precious metals. Understanding the tax implementation implications in stock trading can produce major tax benefits. The rules to qualify as a trader can be complex. Work with your tax advisor to determine whether your facts and circumstances qualify for the trader tax benefits. Tax Strategy 20. Do your stock trading inside a self-directed Roth. In Chapter 7, we discussed all the reasons why I don't like the government qualified retirement plans. One of the few times these types of plans make sense is when you trade stocks or options and they're especially good if you don't qualify as a trader remember when we talked about prohibited transactions in IRA 
One of the prohibited transactions is performing services for your IRA. An exception to this rule is directing the investments of the IRA. You are allowed in a self-directed IRA to direct which assets the IRA buys and which assets it sells. You can also direct when to buy and sell an asset. When you trade stocks and options, you are all you're doing is direct, directing which assets are bought and sold and the timing of those purchases and sales. You could do this by going into your IRA administrator's website, but there's there is a much easier way to do it. What if you have an IRA set up? A, what if you have the IRA set up a limited liability company that has a brokerage account? As long as you only direct the investments and don't put any money in or take any money out of the account, you can personally run the brokerage account. This gives you access to. This gives you access you need to buy, sell stocks, or trade options on a daily basis. Since stock and option trades are treated as short-term capital gains, if you were to trade them outside of your IRA, it would be taxed at ordinary income tax rates. So you don't give anything up by trading inside an IRA. You simply postpone paying the tax on the investment gains. Even better is trading stocks and options inside a self-directed Roth. When you do this, none of the gains are taxable, ever. How cool is that, of course? Remember that you are limited on when you can take the money out. So don't depend on the income from the stock and option trading inside your IRA while you are under 59 and a half years old. This is retirement income and you should trade accordingly. If you have money inside a 401k or an IRA and your wealth strategy includes stock and option trading, consider rolling your 401k or IRA into a self-directed IRA and doing some of your trading inside your self-directed IRA. And consider converting your regular IRA to a Roth IRA before you start trading so that you can avoid tax on all of the gains from trading.